Let's get started. Um, this week's the third week of our master class on prayer. Um, if you haven't been following along, we've modeled this series after the kind of popular um, teaching series called Master Class, where out of the huge ocean of kind of knowledgeable teachers in the world, uh, the makers of Master Class have hunted down like the real experts who are proven, people who have clearly excelled at their craft, and then they ask them to just in front of a camera kind of teach their process. So Gordon Ramsay teaches cooking all by himself with nobody to cuss at. Um, he still cusses. I've seen part of it. But there's no one for him to cuss at, so it's just for the fun of cussing, I guess. Um, Shonda Rhimes teaches how to write for television. She's the one who wrote Grey's Anatomy, you know, for 18 seasons and the 28 spinoffs that they've had. She's worth like $20 billion or something. Um, Carlos Santana teaches the art and soul of guitar. Steve Martin teaches comedy. Bob Woodward, you know, one of the reporters that uncovered Watergate, teaches investigative reporting. Bob Iger from Disney teaches business strategy and leadership, and on and on and on. So they get these people who are tested in their field, and they have them teach a master class on it. So uh, several weeks ago, Esther, you know, suggested that I teach a series on prayer, and I, like, immediately quailed because I simply don't feel qualified. Um, I feel like a total novice at prayer myself, and I can only stretch my hypocrisy so far. Um, so I kind of, uh, in an offhand way, thought, wouldn't it be great if Jesus like taught a master class, like, hi, I'm Jesus, and this is my master class. And, uh, and so that kind of tickled around in my head for a while until I thought, what a great way to teach prayer than to look at the prayers Jesus actually prayed, not just, you know, his teaching on prayer, but the prayers he prayed um, as, you know, like the master of prayer. And, uh, and I found he, he only, uh, they, we only have recorded eight different prayers that Jesus prayed, um, some of them we have them recorded multiple times, but only eight times. We know we prayed more than that, but those are the ones that the disciples, you know, felt like they needed to record and write down. And most of them are very, very short. And so what we decided to do is we've been digging into the Lord's Prayer as kind of a, an outline on how we should pray, but then um, defaulting to Jesus's examples of how he prayed um, to kind of back those up. That's kind of like the master twist we're adding in because we want to learn to cook. If we want to learn to cook, we want to go to Gordon Ramsay, right? You, don't want to, you do not want to learn to cook from me. Um, if we want to learn business, we go to the head of Disney. And if we want to learn prayer, who better to go to than Jesus? So we've basically broken prayer into three really generic types. You could, there are types within these types. And there, you, know, you can get some prayer books that are like the 16 different types of prayer. I read one of those this week. And they're all amazing. But they all fall into three rough categories, upward, outward, and inward prayers. Upward prayers are just all about God. He's, the, he's the, the object of the prayers. When we tell God how amazing he is, how incredible he is, um, uh, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. It's all about him. Outward prayers are the prayers about stuff. It's the, the things that are out there. Give us this day our daily bread. We're praying the object of the prayer is the stuff out there. We're treated, we treated with three of Jesus' outward prayers last week where he prayed for himself once, um, he prayed for others once, and he prayed even for his enemies. And if you missed that one, I think it's, you should go back and listen to it. It's really important. These outward prayers constitute the main reason most of us pray. And so it's kind of important that we do it like Jesus and let the way he prayed outwardly inform our prayers. Um, inward prayers, or to use kind of a trendier buzzword, processing prayers, processing I need time to process. That's kind of the buzzword now. Um, processing prayers are about our hearts. The object is not the stuff. The object is not necessarily God as much as the object is our hearts, our guts, our inner life. 
forgive me uh, as I as I process what I need to forgive uh, others. It's 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 what's going on in our in our own guts and hearts. Introspection has uh, kind of gotten a black eye sometimes in the church because we're so afraid of selfishness and narcissism, and you know, we're afraid if we focus too much on ourselves, we're we're going to get off. Uh, and that kind of kind of self-absorption and narcissism is rampant in our world, which we do have to be careful. But um, the most common metaphorical language for where God is in relation to the believer is in our hearts. He, he comes to live within you. Jesus said the Holy Spirit, the comfort will come and be in you and out from you will flow rivers of living water. So I could be overstretching the metaphor just a little bit, but if you truly want to commune with the Spirit of God, the best way to do that is to go inside. That's where he dwells. If you want to be with God, that inner journey is an important way to be with him. That doesn't mean we don't still go out. It doesn't mean we don't still serve. It doesn't mean we don't still love and bless others. Absolutely, we do those things. But if the Spirit of God lives with us and we want to spend time with the Spirit of God, we do that by going inward. We pray inward. Um, We meet God in the depths of our motives and our wounds and our hidden insecurities and our secret sins. This is where our relationship with God gets really intimate. And these are the prayers we're going to deal with for the next two weeks. Um, so we're going to look at Jesus' longest recorded prayer in John 17, and then we'll discuss it a little bit. And this is a, a little bit long, but bear with me, because uh, this was Jesus' kind of final like prayer, and, uh, and this was an important one, so we want to make sure we don't miss any of it. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one who, each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. And I have passed on to them this message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you. And they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I'm departing from this world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of your name, of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so they would be filled with joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they have not belonged to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of this world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your words, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, 
but also all those who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world would know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. This is the word of the Lord. So before we look at the structure of this prayer, um, kind of as an example of how we should pray, uh, let me just say that this thing is so rich with theology that you could just study this one prayer um, for forever. So go home and read it and reread it. It's John 17. It's the whole chapter. Um, unfortunately, if you were if you were hearing some of those words and being like, oh man, this is going to be awesome. Let's dive in deep. That's not why we're here today. So we're not going to get crazy theological today. But man, I do want to hit on a couple nuggets just to put them out there. Um, like this one. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know the only true God in Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. So you could chew on that one for an entire sermon series. Really good. Or how about this one? Just as I do not belong to this world, I'm not asking you to take them out of this world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. That could change the way you pray. Don't take them out of it. Just keep them safe in it. Whew. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. That's good for a few hundred years of debate right there, um, which we've done. Uh, But none of that is why we're here today. We're here um, to learn how to pray, which brings us to an interesting kind of dilemma in our study um, where we compared Jesus' prayers to the Lord's prayer. Um, Because we're using that as a rough outline for how we should pray. Um, But then looking at Jesus kind of eavesdropping on his prayers to figure out, you know, how we can apply in a real way uh, to our lives. Well, now we're at an impasse because uh, the next piece of the Lord's prayer that we would pray is forgive us our trespasses, even as we forgive those who trespass against us. Can you see the dilemma? Like how in the world do we learn how to pray for forgiveness by studying someone who never sinned, by studying someone who never had to ask for forgiveness. I'm really glad you asked um, because uh, I think this is a great opportunity um, to kind of introduce the, the ancient and often misunderstood practice of confession. Uh, today, um, most of our understandings of confession are shaped by the Roman Catholic um, sacrament of confession. Um, where you kind of make a list of your sins and a priest hears your list and offers penance and absolution and sometimes counsel. Uh, like the man who went to the confessional and says, Father, something terrible is happening that I have to talk to you about. The priest says, what's wrong? And he says, my wife is trying to poison me. The priest, very surprised by this, asks, how can this possibly be? And the man then pleads, I'm telling you, I'm certain she's poisoning me. What should I do? 
The priest says, tell you what, give me your name and I'll give her a call. I'll speak with her and I'll let you know what I find. A week later, the priest calls the man and says, I spoke to your wife at length. We spoke on the phone for three hours. Do you want my advice? The man says to the priest, yes, please give me your advice. And the priest says, take the poison. (laughs) Maybe not that kind of counsel, but as Protestants, we've gotten away from this form of confession primarily because we don't like the, uh, the unbalanced kind of power dynamic that it creates to have kind of one person uh, with the power of absolution. It's a lot like an Irishman who goes into the confessional box after being away from church for years and years. And man, there's a, there's a fully loaded bar with Guinness on tap. There's chocolates and cigars and a beautiful dazzling array of fineries and The priest walks in and the man says, you know, Father, I've been away from church for a long time and I have to say the confessional has gotten considerably more inviting. To which the priest says, you're on my side, get out. Not funny that one? Okay. So Protestants Protestants mostly have gotten away from confession as an official sacrament, but we still believe that confessing to one another is important. Like the husband who on his honeymoon makes a confession to his wife. And he says, something I should have told you before, I'm addicted to golf. I play every single weekend. I play every evening. Um, any chance I get to play, I play. And if, if given a choice between you and golf, I'll usually pick golf. I probably should have told you this before. She thinks about it and processes it for a minute and goes, well, while we're making confessions, I, I have one to make as well. He says, oh, please, yes. She goes, I'm a hooker. He goes, no problem. If you widen your stance a little bit and double up your grip, we can probably just fix that. Got to know golf to get that one, I guess. She's hooking her swing. Get it? She's hooking her swing. Okay, move on. I got to give one more. Here we go. There it is. So this young boy goes into confessional. And he sits down, the father sits down, and he says, uh, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. Uh, I uh, had sex with my girlfriend, and I know sex before marriage is a sin, and so I'm coming seeking absolution. The priest rubs his forehead and says, I want you to go down to the market, buy four large lemons, cut them open, squeeze them into a glass, and drink it straight down. And the, the young boy says, is that going to give me absolution? And the priest says, no, but it'll at least wipe that smile off your face. <laughs> okay, I promise that was it. Who knew there were so many great jokes on confession on the internet? All right. Honestly, though, this study today, um, I think, can help uh, clear up some of our misunderstandings about confession, especially the way the ancients confessed. Because I'd like to submit that John 17 is Jesus' confession. Uh, And it's really a great representation of of exactly what he's asking us to do in the Lord's Prayer when he says, forgive us as we forgive. So let's dive into that. First, by today's standards, John 17 barely qualifies as a prayer at all. If you, I went through and just kind of looked at everything Jesus asks for in this prayer. We typically think of prayer as asking God for something, to ask God for wisdom or healing or or financial help or 
or guidance, or but we're asking God for things. And by that standard, this barely qualifies as prayer at all. Majority of, uh, of what Jesus does here is different. So let's look at every time he asks for something. He says, uh, it says, glorify your son. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. Uh, this is how he opens a prayer. It doesn't really feel much like he's asking for something. But you could, you could argue that he's asking um, the Father to glorify him, maybe. And he says, bring me into the glory we shared before the world begins. That's in verse 5. Again, sounds more like uh, discussing the fulfillment of prearranged plans. But you could argue that that's a prayer. But if it is, it's the same prayer he's already prayed. He's praying that God would bring him glory. Uh, then he says... In verse 11, now protect them by the power of your name. So you could argue that he's asking God for protection for his disciples. Um, again, doesn't really sound like a request, but you could say it is. Um, then he says, keep them safe from the evil one. Same prayer, still asking protection for his disciples. So we have Jesus really praying for two things. One, that God would glorify him. And two, that, uh, that his disciples would be protected. Um, so he asked for those two things. But in verse 20 is where we get kind of really serious. This is when he says, this is what I'm praying for. So I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for those who will ever believe in their marriage, so we, their message, so we know this includes us. I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. And I've given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I'm in them. You are in me. May they experience, experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Now, I know I've had to bounce around a little bit here. Um, I invite you to go home and read this. If you can find more times Jesus asked for something, let me know. I couldn't. Um, but so far, Jesus has asked for two things, glory and protection for his disciples. But if we look at why he asked for those, he does explain why he asked for those. So first he says, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one. So he asked for glory, but then he says, I've given that to them so that they may be one. That's why he asked that God would glorify him so that he could show that glory to his disciples and they would be one. And then the protection, he says, now protect them by the power of your name, so that they might be united. So what is Jesus really asking for in this big, long, took a whole chapter to get through it, prayer? I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one. So really, he's only asking for one thing in this prayer. He's really only asking for one request. His, finest, his final prayer, his fullest prayer, his wordiest and most theological prayer is only asking for one thing, that his followers would be one. Now, I would absolutely love to settle in here and spend about a year unpacking um, the tension between the church's desperate desire for doctrinal accuracy uh, and the great lengths we'll go to to be right and Jesus' deepest and longest prayer that we would be one. There's a lot of tension there. We so desperately want to be right and want to get it right that we do a lot of damage to Jesus' prayer for unity. And so there's a, there's a tension that we have to live in um, that, that 
each one of us has to weigh out what's more important, accurate or being a part of answering Jesus' final prayer. And it's hard. It is hard. It's a tension that we, that we always have to wrestle with. But that's not why we're in this study. The reason we're here is to answer this question. If Jesus is only asking for one thing, why 617 words? I counted. Why 617 words in this prayer if really he's only asking for one thing? What is Jesus doing with all of those other words? Again, really glad you asked. Um, I'd like to submit that Jesus is confessing. This is a, a confession. And some people get uncomfortable with that because what on earth could Jesus confess when he's sinless? But that's a modern understanding of confession. If you go back farther, that, this is exactly what a confession was. St. Augustine titled his life story, his kind of autobiography that focused mostly on kind of his conversion to Christ and, uh, and then subsequent kind of growth in Christ. Amazing book. It's written in the fourth century and it's one of the most contemporary reads you'll ever read. It's, it's amazing um, how much Augustine wrestled with the same things we wrestle with. I'm feeling that tickle to like unpack the book right here in front of everybody, but I'm not going to. Um, great read. I highly recommend it. But he titled it The Confession. This was Augustine's confession. It was more of his testimony. Like what, he, what they considered a confession to be was to, to kind of process your life with God. And if you read the book, the whole thing is like a prayer. Like every, chat, every paragraph starts, Father, you also did this. And Father, we did this. And Father, you know how I did this. And he, he writes it to God about his entire life. And from there, countless Christians throughout history have laid down their faults and their failures and their accomplishments and their revelations entitled it their confession. So there's the confession of, of St. Anne of such and such. And, and so this was a very normal process um, throughout the history of the people of God was to, um, was to give what they considered to be a confession, which was just your story. It was your story. You, you told your story with God and to God um, just to, to process it and put it out. And this is going, obviously, to include repentance for sure um, as we're faced to force the areas where we've totally blown it. But it also includes things you're, you're grateful for and your laments and the things you've had to surrender to. And this is what Jesus does in, in John 7. So let's, let's look at this little piece of it. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. He's telling God what's already happened. He's not asking for anything. He's, he's processing what's already taken place. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I've revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and I have kept your word. Now they know that everything I've, uh, I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it, past tense, and know I have come to you. And they believe you sent me. And this is what a confession sounds like when it comes from somebody who hasn't sinned. Uh, it, it sounds like this is what I did. You gave me this to do. I did it. It's going to sound a little different coming from us because it might go, you gave me this to do and I failed. I didn't do it. But a confession is to process what you've done and what and what's, uh, you've been through with God. So when Jesus tells us to, in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us, 
Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. This isn't so much of a blanket statement. This is an invitation to walk your story and bring it all, the good, the bad, the ugly, the things you've done, the things that have been done to you, the stuff everyone who knows you knows, and the stuff that you don't care to tell anybody. It's an invitation to bring all of that, walk all of that with God. But I do think that there is a bit of a pattern that we can pick up from Jesus, the the kind of master of prayer, to aid us as we pray that prayer, forgive us as we forgive others. Whether you're making a formal confession to a church, like the man who, no, I'm kidding, I promise, no more jokes. Whether you're working through your day like Jesus did, where you just, uh, walk through it step by step or, or, you're, or you're doing like St. Augustine did and processing your entire life in conversion. There are some steps you can kind of follow that Jesus goes through here and the whole reason we're eavesdropping on Jesus is to figure out how to do it better. So the first thing he says, I have brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. This sounds like kind of an obvious thing, but You'd be surprised how many people I talk to who just feel generally bad about themselves and make kind of general confessions when they really have no idea what is expected of them or what they've even done wrong. They don't even know what rules they've really broken. In fact, I think it's generally healthy. Next time you kind of analyze your failures like, and, and you kind of analyze the your own just kind of guilt or that you carry with you is see if you can identify which exact biblical commands you've broken. Some of them are obvious. But you'd be surprised how many times uh, people have no idea where this conviction they have that uh, came from. And they just generally feel bad about it. And they don't even, Jesus said, I did what you sent me to do. He knew exactly what he was sent to do. The first thing is you have to know what's expected of you. It's, it's, sometimes it's just stuff our parents handed us. It doesn't even come from the Bible. So just a little homework. I challenge you to see if you even know where your specific do's and don'ts come from. Some of them we carry a long time. We find out we didn't even get those from the Scripture. A quick note, though. I do believe in conscience as a tool of the Holy Spirit. So there are some things we don't do just because... We just feel in our gut like we're not supposed to. And that's okay to obey that. Like, it doesn't have to be, I know that, like, if you just have a conviction against something that's personally for you, absolutely obey that. You don't have to have an exact scripture for those things. But, but a lot of times we do it because we, we don't even necessarily feel a, a, a conscience against it. We don't feel anything in our conscience against it. We just feel like we weren't really supposed to. And then when you look, you don't even know why. So it's important to know what's expected of us as we confess. What did God want you to do? What, what was God's plan for you today? Jesus says that he completed the work God gave him to do. And before you can do that, you have to know what he sent you to do. You have to know why you're here on earth. What does God want from you? This is not an easy question, which is why the inner prayer is not an easy prayer. And if those waters are too deep, and sometimes they are, wrestling with that question, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? What does God want from me? Are pretty deep waters. Then you can at least pray, you know, we confess that we have sinned against you and 
thought and word and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. And that's kind of generic. You know, we know we've failed. So we get a little bit more specific. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. We all know we can at least start there. That's kind of the shallow waters. We can at least start with, I know I'm supposed to love God and love people. And even then, if you're, if you're making a confession, if you're processing your day with God, see if you can find a spot where you didn't love your neighbor as yourself. Confess that moment. Walk through that with God. What did I do? What could I have done better? Have you failed to love God and love your neighbor? The more specific, the better. But before we can do that, we have to know what is expected of us. A lot of us are just carrying this weight that we don't even know what we're supposed to be doing. And I think if we could identify what we are supposed to be doing, sometimes that, late, that, that weight can get a lot lighter. Second, which we've already sort of touched on, is not only do we have to know what's expected of us, but how did we fail that? To Jesus, it wasn't a failure. It was a success. And it's a success sometimes in our life. He says, I brought you glory here on earth. That's what you sent me to do, and I did it. Jesus' confession sounds different than mine. Mine are usually not that successful. But it's really important to process what we've done with God and what we haven't done. And let me say this. It's not prideful to, to acknowledge where you've obeyed him either. If you felt like that tug to be selfish and you knew that the Holy Spirit was prompting you to do better and you did better, it's okay to kind of relish in that obedience and go, God, thank you so much for that prompting. It felt really good. Even though I wanted to do the selfish thing, it felt really good to do the right thing. That's a confession too. You're confessing, I came to do what you sent me to do. And when we fail, we confess that the same way. And we go, I, I blew it. I knew what to do there and I didn't do it. And I'm, I, I'm sorry. A confession isn't just making a list of your mistakes. It's, it's the full process of, of looking back at what God asked you to do and how you did. And sometimes that's good, and that's still a confession, and sometimes it's not so good, and that's still a confession. Just to be honory, sometimes I love it when people are like, oh man, I can't go a single day without sinning. And I'll go, which sin did you break specifically today? A lot of times they're like, well, I don't know, I just, you know, I just, I sin. Like, well, come on, give me a specific. What did you do? Today, that would, and people don't even know. They just carry the weight of, I'm, I'm, I'm just sinful. You know, they don't, they're not really thinking specifically. It's, it's so powerful to, to process our day with God and, and get a feel for, and then, it, then the next thing we know, we know exactly our weaknesses. We're like, wow, four days in a row, I have failed at this moment. Like somebody comes into me and I snapped at him. Like, that's a, that's a hot button. The Holy Spirit, take me into this. Why am I doing this? Like, we can only do that when we take our time and walk the inward journey of processing. So we identify what's expected of us. We name it. We reference it if we can. God, your word says that I'm supposed to do this. We identify specifically where we failed or succeeded at that expectation. And the third thing, we identify what we should do next. Now I am departing from this world. I am coming to you. And this sounds flippant, but it's anything but. Jesus knows what the, when he prays this, he knows what the road to the Father is going to look like. And it's not fun. He knows he's about to go through hell. But he says, I know what comes next. 
This is what was expected of me. This is what I did. And I know what comes next. Jesus doesn't just process with the Father the things that have already happened. While he's on the inward journey, he recognizes there's, there's next steps that need to take place. The Lord's Prayer goes, as we forgive those who trespass against us. There's homework. Confession always brings homework. Whether it's confessing our successes, confessing our failures, there's always homework. Jesus, in one of his most iconic and beautiful acts of grace, is faced with, a, with an adulterous homewrecker who is caught in the act. Her accusers have left because Jesus drew a line in the sand and basically said, only someone truly holy can punish her. And she and Jesus are still standing there in this frozen moment because I think they both understood that Jesus qualified to have dibs on that first stone if he wanted it. And he looks at her and he asks where everybody else went. And she told him they left. And she still stood there. And Jesus tells her that he has no desire to use her as target practice. And he ends the entire encounter with this beautiful line, go forth and sin no more. He gave her homework. He sent her away with something to do. Change. Do better. Inward prayers are about growth. They're about doing the real work of discipleship. Most of the prayers, the, the gospel writers record are one-line prayers. These short little prayers that Jesus prayed. Last week we studied three of Jesus' prayers. All three um, are, were outward prayers. I added up the words, 70 words if you put all three prayers together. The longest form of all three prayers only adds up to 70 words. Most one line each. This single prayer is 617 words. Processing takes time. It's not something we just rattle off. Processing takes time. It takes thought and attention. But the more we do it, the better we get at it. So how do we respond to this? Next week, we're actually going to break down three um, of Jesus' more specific processing prayers so that we can get some guidance on on kind of more focused ways we can do this. Um, I really recommend you dig into that. But, um, but they all have that same trajectory of going in, inward. We talk to God who's up there. We pray for stuff that's out there. But the inward journey goes into our hearts. So if you've been doing your homework um, each week, I've been kind of giving us ways to pray. We started by uh, kind of instituting the daily offices. You set, set an alarm in your phone for 6, 9, noon, 3, 6, 9, and bedtime. And, uh, and just this alarm that goes off and kind of calls you back to the presence of God. Just to, just to bring God back into that moment and remind us to pray. We talked about if we want to get really good at piano, we start with Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star over and over and over and over again until we start to get some rhythm and, and, and understand melody and feel, and, and then we go. So that's what we're doing. We're starting with super, super simple prayer. And if you're way beyond this in your prayer life, that's okay. But for some of us who struggle with prayer, just having our phone go off and say, now's the time to pray. Just pray a simple little prayer. We decided to use 9 a.m. last week. We started shaping the daily offices a little bit. 9 a.m. last week, we were going to switch them to upward prayers. So at 9 a.m., man, find something 
about God that just impresses you. If, if, it's, if you're outside and you're like, man, God, you made a glorious day. You're an amazing creator. Um, kick on a worship song. Anything that's God-focused for just a couple minutes. If you don't have time for that, if you're busy in your day and you're swamped, you can just pray, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. That takes like two seconds, 9 a.m. every morning. Oh, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. So then we're going to use the noon time to pray outward prayers. Ask for something you need. Ask for somebody uh, for something somebody else needs that you know of. We have a list of people who need healing in their bodies right now in our church. Just, just rattle their name off to God. Maybe even pray for somebody who's really upsetting you that day. Somebody who's just on your last nerve. Take noon to just call their name out to God and, and pray for their blessing. If you don't have time for that, if your day is swamped, give us this day our daily bread. Lean into that us part, that plural part. Give us, not just me. Us. Give us our daily bread. Well, this week we're going to add another piece. This one's a little trickier because it comes with some options depending on how your day works. Ideally, what I would love to do is pray an upward prayer at 9, an outward prayer at noon, another upward prayer at 3, and an an inward prayer at 6. I think that'd be cool. God, us, God, us. I just, I like symmetry. Um, But for some people, 6 o'clock is a terrible time to do an inward prayer. You're like right in that dinner crush. Like if you're driving home, that's a great time to process your day and just take a minute, turn off the radio and just, God, how did I do today? What what did you call me to do and how how did I do at it? But I love the idea of processing uh, at 6, kind of in that early evening. But how did I do? Did I stay connected to you, God? Did I think about you throughout the day? How did I treat people? What did I feel God wanted me to do today? And, and, and how did I succeed or fail at that? And then what do I plan to do next? How can I do better? The thing I like about 6, really you could do 3, 6, or 9, but don't just go into it now when I get a minute in that three, six, nine thing, that's where I'll do it because you'll never do it. You got to lock one in and say, this is when I process my day. Just for a couple minutes, I ask God, how did I do today? And I love the idea of doing it at six because there's still time to do better. If you had a rough day and you were snappy with people and at six o'clock you process that, don't take that home to your family. Like say, I'm going to do better. I'm going to, okay, I've confessed. God's forgiven me. Now it's time for me to do my homework and go home and and bring a better attitude to my wife and my kids or my husband or you know, my parents, whatever, my family. But I do recommend locking in a time. If, if you can't do six, if three works better, do three. But it'd be nice to, to, to sit down at the same time every day and go, how am I doing? Forgive me, Father, as I forgive those. What was expected? How did I do? What comes next? If you haven't noticed, we're kind of slowly building the Lord's Prayer into our day. I'm leaving the morning and evening kind of alone um, because I know some people have devotion times kind of set in, you know, already locked into their their daily schedule and I don't want to mess with those. But prayer at each of the kind of midday offices over time um, can prompt us, like once we kind of build that space where you know every day at at nine, noon, three, and six, you know, your alarm goes off, you know, and we're, and even if you just start with those words, our Father who art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive me as I forgive others. Thine is the kingdom, power, and glory. 
When we build that into our day, then we've got this structure we can fill in with our own prayers. When we're, give us this day our daily bread and suddenly, you know, that's the moment I ask for my needs. I ask for other people's needs. I fill it. Can you imagine how different our day might look if we stopped even for, for a couple minutes, praised God at nine in the morning, asked for something at noon, praised him again at three and processed our day at six. Can you imagine how much that would change our normal daily life? If those are just 60 seconds apiece, we're still bringing God into our full day over and over again. Five minutes of total prayer. Five prayers at a minute each, and, and you're bringing the Lord's prayer and, and his presence into your day. So that's your homework. We're going to start processing it at 6 o'clock if you can, 3 or 9 if you can't. But just taking a minute to go, how did I do today? What did I do well? What did I do not so well? And how can I make it better? We've been closing out each week um, with a structured prayer, and uh, we're going to continue that this week. This week we're going to pray um, a confession prayer, a processing prayer, an inward prayer from the Psalms. It's Psalms 51. This is David making confession. So if you would, just please read along with me. Have mercy, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sins. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Do not keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not desire burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. O God, look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifice offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar.